0: KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: I'm Joe Morgenstern, the film critic of The Wall Street Journal. The Hurt Locker starts with a quote from the journalist Chris Hedges War is a drug and makes that case with masterful clarity and phenomenal force. Catherine Bigelow's film was written by Mark Bowle and its many things at once. A first-rate action thriller, a vivid evocation of urban warfare in Iraq, a penetrating study of heroism and a showcase for austere technique, terse writing, and a trio of absolutely brilliant performances. Most of all, though, it's an instant classic that uses a brutally hot and dusty laboratory setting to show how the drug of war can hook its victims and why they can't kick the habit. The story is set in 2004 on the streets of Baghdad, where a three-man bomb squad works to disarm a succession of the improvised explosive devices that are killing civilians and soldiers alike. One of the three, Staff Sergeant William James, he's played by Jeremy Renner, has a special relationship with bombs. He loves the circuits that must be decoded, the detonators that must be disconnected. He loves the challenge presented by each bomb, the chance to taunt fate and come up a winner or go up in flames. It's the ultimate form of a gambler's high. In military slang, bombs send their victims to the hurt locker of the title. The other two men are played by Anthony Mackey and Brian Garrity. At various points in their collaboration, they call James reckless, a rowdy boy, and a wild man. But is he crazy as well, or courageous beyond the call of duty, or both? The movie wisely doesn't insist on a clear answer, but it dramatizes his work so astutely that The Hurt Locker takes on the dimensions of a meditation on war and human nature. The cast includes Ray Fiennes and Guy Pearce, and Barry Aykroyd did the stunning cinematography. In Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, a national security advisor confronts the leader of the Autobots, Optimus Prime. He's a good robot trying to help us foolish humans defend ourselves against an army of bad Decepticons. And he says angrily, who are you to pass judgment on us? During the course of this god-awful film, I asked myself the same question. Who am I to pass judgment on a vast industrial enterprise that cost and will earn countless king's ransoms? What words of wisdom can a movie critic offer in the face of an anti-movie that'll give its many fans the pleasure of watching machines battling machines without the distraction of coherence or humanity? Then a word did come to me. Max Light. It's the brand of earplugs I've found best for defense against deafening movies, and the brand I use to protect my tympanic membranes against Revenge of the Fallen. If only I'd had protection for my brain. Compared to this sequel, the first Transformers ranks right up there with Immanuel Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. The new one is impressive for what it is glittering pieces of computer-generated machinery that gyrate, undulate, somersault, and explode. At 150 minutes, though, Michael Bay's production is like a July 4th fireworks display that doesn't end until July 8th and makes you swear off Roman candles for life. Kids will love the new one, just as they've been conditioned to do by their love of Transformer toys, but that doesn't change the nature of the mechanical beast. This Transformers is a pile of glittering junk. I'm Joe Morgan Stern, and I'll be back on KCRW next
0: week with more reviews. KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.